The rock group. The rock group. You too. Hello, welcome to the eighth episode of the At YouTube podcast, talking all things YouTube, including new album news, tour dates, community discussions from the staff of At YouTube. And this time we actually have all staff of At YouTube. No guests this time. And special bonus for those of those uh, Matt haters out there. <laughs> no Matt this time either. So in, in lieu of Matt not being here, we've got some awesome folks, though. Uh, first of all, uh, on my list, anyways, uh, I can't see them, but in order from left to right, we'll say Tim Newfeld. Welcome back to the show, Tim. Hi, great to be here, Chris. Good to have you from sunny California, or probably not sunny it's, anymore. It's, it's sunny, yeah. Well, the sun's down, but yeah. Yeah. And next in the uh, around the table, virtual table, is uh, Sherry Lawrence. Hello, Sherry. Hello. Good to have you back as well. Is this... Is this your first time actually on the show, not as a pre-recorded guest? I think I so. I right? so. Well, there you go. You do actually exist in the podcast time continuum. So this is good. And last, oh, wait, wait, wait. I got to get my sound thing queued up. Last but not least. Okay. Is uh, Chris. <laughs> Fellow Christopher. Do you go by Chris or Christopher? Do you get this? Uh, uh, Chris personally, Christopher professionally. So okay. I guess... I don't know where this falls, but <laughs> it's definitely Shouldn't not it professional. Doctor Andrinal, <laughs> Doctor Andrinal, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Doctor E, my students call me. Okay, so, whatever. So either O and G, yeah, or Doctor E, one of those yeah. two. We'll <laughs> go with. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, and you've all been on the show in some capacity. You've introduced yourself to the community in audio form, so we'll skip maybe that bit this time. We are coming to you from Skype, so we're all around the world here. The three of you are in the U.S. and I'm up in Canada. Um, like I mentioned, no Matt this time. He was on the Crystal Ballroom with Tim Monday night over on the Periscope, which was awesome to see uh, and uh, and hear and participate with. Tim, how is how's the Crystal Ballroom going these days? Well, I, I think we managed to survive having Matt McGee on, and I'm grateful for that because, you know, Matt with the fly shades and then generating the kind of controversy that he does around the current songs of innocence album. It can be risky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There wasn't as much uh, blowback. I don't think it was, it's it. Uh, he, he claims I was stirring it up more than anybody else, which is probably true, but uh, no, we'll, we'll question him about it next time. If there's more, more questions that come in, he was, he did post a, an interesting interview. If you haven't checked, uh, checked it out yet on at youtube.com, we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, but with w Willie Williams, uh, sort of back and forth, email interview with him about what's happening on the tour, which we will discuss later on in the show. For now, let's jump right into our inbox, which brings me to the first question that kind of goes back to the links um, at Alyssa. Zero one asked on every podcast you mentioned about posting links. I'm on subscription from iTunes and can't find any links. So depending on how you're listening to the podcast and where you listen to it, some folks listen on the web at goodstuff.fm slash at you two slash in this case eight is the episode number. The links are right there on the web. Your podcast player of choice will vary in terms of how it handles links or sometimes we call them show notes. They might, I use an app called Pocket Cast for iPhone. It shows them as I'm listening to a podcast, I can tap on a link and, and it'll show me while it's playing. Other podcast apps don't display the show notes and links very well. It's just kind of like a media player basically to, to play the MP3. Um, so if, we, if you don't have those displayed somehow in your podcast player of choice, you can always visit goodstuff.fm slash at u2 slash and then the episode number and that'll be where anything that we've linked to talked about in general that we try and catch anyways in the show should be listed there. So does that make sense guys from your perspective? Anyone? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> sure does. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I'm, I'm a little uh, deep in the podcast world and, and sort of forget what it's like coming to this from a, a new perspective. And I know there's lots of folks who are new to podcasts because of the at YouTube podcast, which is awesome to sort of, welcome you to this world, but want to make sure we make sure it's a, not a bumpy ride into it. So anyways, on to the next question from no secret at all. So during the first leg of the tour, there was a section dedicated to Bono's mother, Iris, this being the pair of, I will follow and Iris. I was thinking about it. I'm curious as to if they would do something dedicated to Bono's father, Bob, there are a good group of songs they could do that with. Like sometimes you cannot make it on your own kite dirty day for some, I feel like this could be a part of experience. Perhaps. What are your thoughts? Uh, Sherry, let's go with what well, let's see here. Um, uh, Bob Hewson was very much at the heart of the Vertigo tour back in 2005. They uh, created 
the feature um, uh, performance of Sometimes You Can't Make It on Your Own with the Walking Man visuals behind the stage. And and that was um, at the beginning of what fans would consider the heart of darkness section of the, um, of the show. So I feel like that has already been done both in 2005, but also in 2001 on the elevation tour when kite was first, um, introduced in San Jose and, um, at various different points of that tour. Um, this tour is really about Iris and about the mother and child reunion. So I don't see the father side coming out. And, um, even with the experience portion coming up, um, if, if anything, it may be, uh, Bono imparting on his own children as opposed to going the, the generation behind. So I don't see that happening. Yeah. You know, we also have, um, he, he's talked about this several times in an interview about, um, rock and roll greats having lost their mother. And I think he's really tracking that theme in this concert as well. But I agree, Sherry. I think that, that part, certainly a, a lot of vertigo tour and some of the elevation tour was really focused in on the father theme and he's come back around to work on the mother theme on this one. Yeah, there there were those those graphics of um, those graphics that they had in in the Vertigo tour of of that man walking um, wearing the short sleeve shirt with the uh, tie that 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 reminded me of um, a fatherly figure. So yeah, I think they're they're shifting the focus to Iris this this time around. And you know what else we have from that Willie Williams interview? That, it was just great over there on the website at u2.com. Um, Willie actually comments on that. He got it. He talks about the design of that moment in Iris and live, and then he talks about a separate design of the mother and child, um, you know, encore. And then he talks about the epiphany, kind of the serendipity of realizing that this is a major theme of the concert. And only have and they kind of link this together after they've designed the two separate components, which is a great kind of moment of artistic reflection too. I think right because Jeffers did the um, did a lot of the very mm-hmm. simplistic line drawing of graphics in the first act, and right. then when you bring it back to Mother and Child, you're back at at Jeffers's um, uh, visuals, which. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does what it does. Well, it becomes, for lack of other spoilers. <laughs> yeah, it becomes kind of a mini film that connects back to the mini film of his work at the beginning of the concert as well. Not to get slightly off topic, but during the uh, mother and child reunion in New York City, uh, I, I noticed it um, MSG 7 and 8, and I think it started around shows... Uh, uh, four or five, where during that video on the far um, screen, they're actually scrolling names of um, mm-hmm. of the red supporters who are in the in the house that night. That didn't happen in Boston, so it'll be interesting to see on leg two if they continue with that um, public display of gratitude for the support of um, of the red campaign. That's really you know, interesting. I was, yeah, I was just interject to say we will yeah. be doing a bit of like spoiler discussion, and so if you absolutely haven't seen any show, like I actually haven't seen a concert, so this is all spoilers to me. But we have in the past episodes talked fairly detailed about what's going on in a show. So if you're if in you're in Europe, you're listening, and you're sort of don't want to have it spoiled, maybe you want to listen after you've been to a concert or something, or maybe listen at two or three x speed through this next little section actually this whole episode probably to be honest um and uh, and then come back of course and listen to it and you know very meticulously but um sorry tim go ahead i interrupted you oh i, I was just sherry i think that's a great insight i saw those names scrolling too i was wondering if it's a bit like the end credits of a movie though i i was wondering if they were getting more reflective about that in kind of the production notes at the end of the leg of the American uh, side of things too. Or maybe Bono didn't want to be standing on the stage reading off a litany of names instead moving the show along. So it didn't sound like he was uh, uh, thanking everybody except for those in section 203 row X. 
which is where I was sitting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're 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 just saying because of the amount of people that were at New York. Um, yeah, there were so many yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, hmm. interesting. Yeah, I hadn't heard that they had done that. So that's an interesting little insight. Um, okay, next question was from at Charoff, who asks: Is there one song that caused you to suddenly realize that you love you too and had to hear all the songs they ever made? Um, Theirs was listed as uh, Staring at the Sun. I'm still catching up on my, all my acronyms, S-A-T-S. That's Staring at the Sun, I think. Um, how about you, Sherry? What was yours? Oh, it had to be Hawkmoon 269. Um, my, my first U2 album that I purchased was Rattle and Hum. And by the time I got to just the fourth track, um, I knew that this was it. And the following day, I went out and got Joshua Tree. I bought Unforgettable Fire. And, and uh, it, was, it was pretty instantaneous that I knew I had to get the entire back catalog. How about you, Chris? Nice. Um, it was, um, well, I, I'd always been a fan, but when, when, it, when the diehardness, I guess, of it hit me, um, it's uh, when I saw the video of, the, of Streets from Boston on the Elevation DVD. I love the way it's shot. I love the lighting. I love the fans. Um, it sounded great. So that was it for me. How about you, too? And I was there oh. for that. Oh, oh, oh lucky. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you know, for me, um, for Tim here, um, I, I've come to think of it as my Joey Ramone moment because, you know, you two have, have described this moment when they were – you know, um, seeing the clash and when they were seeing the Ramones and how just revolutionary it was. And actually for me, I, you know, I bought wide awake in America cause it was a discount album and that got me into unforgettable fire and Joshua tree. But the first time I saw him live was in the LA Coliseum in 1987 on Joshua tree tour. And I was way, way at the top of 90,000 people. And I, you know, bought my ticket for $19. And I just remember First of all, I remember the torch going on, the Olympic torch going on uh, when they opened with Where Streets Have No Name. And, but the moment was when 90,000 people started singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I just thought, There's, I've never been a part of anything like this before. The irony of all these people singing, you know, I haven't found it and I'm still looking for it. And, you know, kind of you two leading them in this chorus. Uh, it was it was remarkable. I'd never been to anything like that in my life. And that was the hook, definitely. Tim, did you have a flashback during um, during this particular tour when you had the entire arena singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for? Were you having one of those time continuum moments where, yeah, yeah. where you were thinking back to 87 and, and, uh, and, and you still having the same feeling now as you did back then? Yeah, uh, not, not so much. It seems that you know, my whole experience with the the encore on this tour has been kind of uh, a campfire moment with Uncle Bono. So it's a little bit different. You know, it feels like, you know, that that moment when they all jumped up on the stage, you know, when he was pulling everybody up on the stage. Um, it feels like the arena is the stage. And now we're you know, and it's smaller. It's more intimate. It's, you know, 15 to 20,000 people, I guess. But um yeah, maybe maybe in some ways, but really, this is much more intimate. It's it's that campfire moment now for me. But I one think of the things, we have, that, Tim, yeah, I, th- I think we might have our uh, podcast title: "The Campfire Moment with Uncle Bono," episode eight. <laughs> yeah. There's somebody just suggested. <laughs> The uh, the the one for me, I'm trying to remember as you guys are talking. Like they're all like great songs, and and I, for me it was like the the experience of seeing the Zoo TV VHS, not even DVD, um, yeah. and and watching that that kind of like solidified because my friends were listening to you two and Rattle and Hum. I remember playing my friend's basement and and then uh, and Joshua Tree before that, sort of a bit of and like feeling like there was this sort of weird Christiany sounding band, and you know where they weren't cool because I was into Guns and Roses, of course, and you know that's. Hard rock, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Chris and I have that in common, but uh, but then yeah, there's something about seeing the Zoo TV uh, VHS that was like, actually, these guys are pretty, you know, rock and roll, and then actually, I could get into this, I think, and and then the emotion of, and so I can't really figure out what song it was. It was something around like the act of like putting lemon in there, and and then Dirty Day and stuff, and somewhere in there that kind of hooked me in, and then I went yeah all the way back, and then all the way forward, and here we are today. And now I do a podcast about that. <laughs> um, okay. Next question from some call me as 
think. What other songs have not been performed on tour yet would be, that would be perfect to add to the E stage? In their opinion, trying to throw your arms around the world. Yes, one of my favorite songs. Staring at the Sun, Stay, also one of my favorites, are great choices for the E stage. How about uh, who do we want to throw to here? Sherry, you start us off. Well, we just finished up the YouTube request through um, social media and Twitter um, that was done by the uh, same folks who did the uh, YouTube the request um, a few months ago. And fans, once again, overwhelmingly uh, selected Acrobat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people think of that song sort of as a buzzkill. Um, others uh, see it as the holy grail of anything U2. <laughs> Much like, you know, you're waiting for the uh, Red Hill Mining Town video and they finally put it on the Joshua Tree box set after all these years. I think Acrobat sort of has that same vibe. If they just do it once, then that'll be enough for everybody. But... Um, um, that would somebody, be an interesting one. Somebody just, I, I'm trying to find it here. I'll find it for the show notes after, but on Instagram, I saw, I can't remember who had it, but the, uh, some, a fan asking Bono to, to sing or to play that song as their request, yes. right? And, and yes. he kind of just smiled and pointed and, you know, wasn't, didn't uh, oh. yeah, give any sort of response. <laughs> I have no doubt that the band fully know that the diehards definitely want to hear it so it yeah. it's 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 not a question at this point of if it's a question of when tim how about you yeah you know what's interesting for me is i i this the question is about what could be played yet on the e stage and and i'm thinking more about what maybe prom won't be played again on the e stage and because i do this crystal ballroom thing everybody's always asking me, wasn't it great? And I was standing in Boston right at the E stage when they lit up on Crystal Ballroom. And I got a great video of it. It's on our YouTube channel and at YouTube. And, you know, everybody's tweeting me right away. Isn't this great? They're doing it for you, Tim. And I, and I was really a little bit underwhelmed. And, and I had said from the beginning, I don't think it's going to make a great live tune because it's really going to take a couple of edges to pull this thing off. It needs a great rhythm guitar and a great lead guitar happening at the same thing. It is a fantastic tune. I'll argue that one with Matt McGee to the end. Yeah, I was going to say. It is, it is a you. brilliant, beautiful, wonderful retro tune, but I think nearly impossible uh, to carry off live. And the other one I would say that I think probably won't get much attention either is California, which they've done a few times on the E stage. It's, it's a beautiful, gorgeous rock and roll tune that just on the album gets kind of overwhelmed by poppy synth. And then they just can't really kind of match it on the E stage. I think, uh, California was pretty powerful from the main stage in Vancouver. Yes, it was a great main stage, too. That's a great thought. You're right, Sherry. I liked it a lot there. And I was expecting that punch when they did it on the E stage, and it didn't quite come. Now, I think Volcano is a good E stage tune because it's got a lot of bass and drums in it. And I think the two of them, Adam and Larry, can kind of carry it on. And I'll probably argue with Matt McGee to the end on that one, too, because he's not very rock and roll. I am. (laughs) How about you for you, Chris? You know, um, quickly to, to build off of what Tim said about Crystal Ballroom, I, I too think it's a fantastic song. Musically, I think it's fantastic. Um, lyrically, I think it's brilliant. Um, but I don't necessarily think it needs a, needs a different arrangement. I think the band just needs to uh, buy into it because the, the couple videos that I saw of them playing that song, they didn't seem very confident. Even, even Bono's uh, comments beforehand, um, before the second performance of it he said the song we've only played once and who knows if we'll play it again so let's let's just give it a try and i think i think if they just go go all in and and you know play it with with some gusto i think it would be fantastic um but anyway i i would love to hear this is where you can reach me now um i think that's that's fitting for the east stage but um um I would, i'd also love to hear please yeah yeah, I know there was some other, another I YouTube fan, and, and I'm sure many others, I've, but I just saw someone on Twitter just who I, I can't remember if she's following me or I saw it through the Ask at You 2 hashtag somewhere, but basically sort of every other tweet mentioning, I'd love to hear please on this yeah. tour. Oh, it's great, great, great tune. Yeah. And it's one of those songs that, you know, they kind of re- redefine each time on a, within the tour sort of aesthetic and, and vibe, I guess, or whatever. And it gets 
a little bit different when they play it, but uh, yeah, it's fun to hear. Um, so uh, I just had one more comment yeah. about something that I would like to see from the E stage. I would like to see whatever the heck the Instagram photo was from two months ago when they're sitting around in a circle and they actually drop the light bulb from the main stage right down in the middle of the E stage. And I still wonder I if they were photo. rehearsing. Yeah, were they rehearsing for something that they haven't done yet? Because I planned on seeing that moment in New York and it didn't happen. Oh so where goodness. is that moment? Yeah, I, I, that, that moment would be an amazing, amazing, amazing concert moment. Just in, I think it could. In, in history, I think. <laughs> it was in a- I kind of feel like that's the stuff that we will probably see in the documentary that should be airing November 7th on HBO. Uh, right. Yep, good point. That's a good yeah. call. That's a good call. Yeah, and the other thing that I didn't see from the E stage that I was expecting is some kind of four or five part string arrangement. Yes, you know, that, that a quartet is. Or a quintet or something. That yeah. was what, I, what yeah. I was really hoping that we would get a bit more of on this tour. I was expecting that actually. I was I expecting was the way that they did all of those songs on the promo tour. I was expecting right. strings. That's my one disappointment about the tour this far. No strings. That'd have been oh, that would be so amazing. And so. and a choir. I almost thought they'd use more local musicians like they did with the roots. I almost thought they'd do more of that kind of thing throughout the tour, maybe get some vocalists and a small choir in because some of the, you know, every breaking wave just lends itself to that kind of thing. Kind of like um, when they were, where were they, where was it filmed when they did all I want is you with the, with the strings that was strings. in Milan, right? Yeah. Oh man. Milan. Yeah. That's another whole interesting, um, just discussion, I guess that we can, we can probably table for a future round table is, is just the, the bands and artists that they, someone actually was asking this on the, the, uh, two, uh, thing that Matt was testing the other night of, you know, are, are they going to bring other artists on the, on stage in Europe and things like that? And, and who might get brought up if they do and different instrumentalists and stuff like that to be famous or infamous, I guess, or not famous as the case may be. Um, but we got to keep moving on. So at RVH95 asks, can you go over the benefits of being an official member of UT.com other than ticket codes is swag worth it? So maybe we'll start with the, uh, the, some of the frustrations, but there is <laughs> of being a member of UT.com. I know Sherry's had some issues, but, um, yeah. Anybody want to speak to, or I guess, first of all, are you guys all members? And if so, why? And, and is it, has it been worth it? Maybe start with, uh, Tim this time. Hi, yeah. You know, I, I like picking up a U2.com membership. Uh, let's see. They're not paying me to say this. I don't get a free membership yeah, or anything. No. Yeah, they're not a sponsor <laughs> for tonight. Um, you know, first of all, we all think about tickets. And so people are firing up again right now because, you know, the they're anticipating maybe another North American leg. So people have been tweeting me, should I get a U2.com membership? And I say, you know, for 50 bucks, yeah, it might be worth it to, if you can get, you know, some GA tickets for yourself out of it, um, you know, get in the queue for that. That'd be great. But I think the gifts have been up and down, like probably one of the lowest. Uh, yeah, I, it was OK. But the Duels album that they had a yeah. few years back, well, you know, wasn't that great. Um, it was okay. And I think, you know, I, I like it especially because of the Soweto gospel choir on it. I thought that was cool, but probably the best, you know, they kind of send you this subscriber gift. The best one that I liked was the book that they sent last year about the North side and Dublin and all the stories out of hot press and the map that they included with it. I, I thought that was a great gift. And I'm, I like the reading the stories of the early years. So sometimes the gifts they're hit and miss and sometimes you get them and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. <laughs> Go ahead, Sherry. That wasn't a reference to anybody in the you know, podcast here. <laughs> now I've been a member of U2's fan club for 27 years um, and I've written about it in uh, many uh, off the record columns including the one that just published back on Sunday and um, I find the connection to be the main reason why 
I joined and I continue to join. Um, at one point in time, I had over 100 pen pals through the grapevine section of propaganda. And as soon as U2.com launched, um, I was part of their beta testing early adopters uh, group. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's part of my lifeblood. I, I, I couldn't imagine not being a member regardless of... Uh, how many headaches I get from the people who are now managing it. I never had a problem when U2's people managed it. But ever since it switched over to Live Nation, it's like they've got a vendetta against me or something. I don't know. But um, I was pretty uh, open and honest in my um, off-the-record column about the issues that I've been having and the amount of um, legwork that we're trying to do behind the scenes so that we can... Um, correct things for the small percentage of people who, like myself, uh, became uh, members at the very beginning. And when membership shifted back around 2008, uh, because the band wasn't ready to announce what the uh, gift was, and they were relaunching the site, um, they told everybody to hold off and and wait on renewing. And some of us um, didn't know that that message was going to be announced two days later. So we did renew and we got lost in the shuffle. And that happened seven years ago. And it's been an annual thing ever since. I still don't have my uh, vinyl. Hopefully by the time this podcast finally uh, uh, airs formally, I might have received it or I might not have. I don't know. Um, it's a crapshoot. But what I can say is my renewal will uh, be automatically emailed to me in 60 days. So when that happens, well, what's next year's gift? Um, uh, as far as the quality of the gifts go, they have been getting progressively better after duels. I believe that um, management heard uh, the fans' cries to say what gives. And uh, some of the gifts, especially the one for the 360 tour, uh, are just about as valuable if you were to buy it on um, Amazon or in your local bookstore. Uh, that's almost a $50 uh, product right there. So what I think that they're doing is they're trying to give you a more quality product to make up for the fact that they're asking um, such a high price for their fan club. But I find that it's much, much uh, uh, better now than it was a few years ago. Um, and of course, tickets, that's always a perk. So the ticket, so you pay for membership and then the ticket deal is that you get first crack at tickets, right? Is that how it works? Sort of. You, sort of. They, they do have a legacy um, um, status. So, um, and that shifts from tour to tour. Um, sometimes it's if, if you've been a member of U2.com for two years. Sometimes it's been if you've been a member for only one year. Um, but they have done different tiers so that if you have a legacy subscription, those are the people who get the first crack. And then those who subscribed a little um, um, later than that, then, then they get second crack and so on and so forth. And they did that to, to um, make sure that any scalpers who would be purchasing memberships at the last minute just to get access to the presale codes, um, they got last dibs um, um, after most of the presales happened. On this tour, with the exception of MSG8, all pre-sales were, were done solely through YouTube.com, which was also a shift. Right. Okay. So that's really like, because it feels a little bit like a, an old school way of doing it for asking your pan, fans, your fans, your fans to pay uh, for a membership thing in this day and age of like everything's out there on social media and you share everything or whatever. But, uh, but it does. Yeah. So your, your mileage may vary and, and whether you'd buy a membership right now in anticipation of a potential U.S. tour you know, return or whatever may or may not pay off. But um, so hopefully that answers your question, RVH95. Feel free to send another question at uh, hashtag ask at you too, if you have a follow-up and want more details. I have a follow-up. Okay, go ahead. Oh, Tim, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Sherry, you know, I just, just a point of clarification here. You mentioned that Live Nation runs U2.com, but it's still U2 people that provide the content and manage the forums and things like that. Wouldn't you agree with that? They do manage all of the um, 
the um, content-driven things, but when it comes to the merchandise and any customer service um, um, issues surrounding membership or um, cash transactions, um, um, ticketing, all of that stuff, that is done through Live Nation uh, or uh, Music Today or Fanfire, which are all subsidiaries of Live Nation. Well, part of what I was saying is I think there's some really great YouTube people still, you know, kind of in the mix oh, that are oh, providing, not, you know, absolutely. great content as well. And those are and, the people who yeah. I'm going through directly to try to yeah. fix this within yeah. the corporation. All of the people who were part of U2's team before the the transfer happened, um, um, they're scratching their heads at this as well. Yeah. So, so we've sort of hit a corporate wall right now and we're trying to work our way through it we're on the other side of the barricade (laughs) (laughs) you're through the looking glass okay um we'll go quick through the last few questions here i'll ask you folks to be brief in your responses so that we can get to some of the other ones but uh (laughs) (laughs) at george kramer the second he'll say has there been any news of a blu-ray release of this tour like there was for 360 no there you go okay (laughs) On the 360 tour, by the way, it took about eight months for that to come out on DVD. They recorded the Rose Bowl in October. It was out the next June as a purchase. So I would hope maybe for Paris that might happen. Well, you figure for YouTube, they had, what, over 7 million people watching it live? So there really wasn't a rush to get it out there. So many people had already seen it. Well, it'd be the same with the HBO broadcast this time. Right. As well, I suppose. Okay, next question. We'll go to uh, at Philip Morin the first. <laughs> I think they'll do. I think they'll do an I'll, I'll go crazy type remix from 360 for an unplayed Songs of Innocence song in Europe. Something different because it's Europe, you know, and they like dance music more than North America. I guess was <laughs> sort of the. They the, do. Yeah, they do. I, I don't. I don't see it though. Um, just because the whole aesthetic of 360 was totally different from. It, from um, Innocence and Experience, that that one was big. It was showy. It was about the bright lights and the claw and the spectacle. This one is a lot more intimate, and I don't I don't know that a remix would fit in the set. If anything, as they develop songs of experience, I would actually expect it to go a little more rock and roll, a yeah. little harder edge than probably more contemporary techno or something like that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and the tour, yeah, the tour is coming up right away here, so we'll find out pretty quick. Uh, last question at Chris's cursor just got in the way. <laughs> Joe <Yes>. O'Hara asks <laughs> uh, the struggles of sharing a uh, Google Doc. You two says their songs are perfected on the road, but which songs do you think sound better on an album than in concert? Which is actually a great question because I always I'm that way. Like we always fans often say that same thing of you two songs are so great on the road that's where i've i've personally fallen in love with so many songs that i didn't like on the album i know matt said the same thing last episode about some of the songs on this album um starting with uh, chris how about you which ones for you have done that um for me uh i, I love person, I right i love the studio version of all i want is you um the the previous live versions i've heard are are, are fine but um for me the the absence of of the strings is is uh, is a big gaping hole for me because the strings are, are are my favorite part of that of that song. Um, and also the the live version of Electrical Storm was just wasn't right. Something about the chord structure was changed a little bit, and it didn't it didn't it didn't jive with me. Studio version for me is better. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah. what's and I don't want to spoil anybody's songs in the head, but like what we were just saying with Crystal Ballroom too, where it's almost like those B sides or, or alternate non-album songs sometimes too don't get the full like band rehearsal or something and like edge right. knows how to play it, but Adam doesn't quite know it maybe or Larry or whatever. And so they're doing it cause edge really wanted to do it. Or whatever. <laughs> I know I've been in band situations like that where you're like, I don't really want to do this song. So I won't learn the solo exactly, you know, and <laughs> it'll be good enough, but the lead right. singer really wants to do it. So I have to do it. Um, how about you, Tim? What's uh, which song sounds better? Yeah, I agree with Chris on all I want is you. It's actually, um, there's a reason that they bring audience members to come up and play guitar on it. It's it's such a simple tune to play live. It's two and a half chords in the truth. Yeah. So you know it's yeah. just 
what it need uh, like it really works so well with those strings at the end because that fills it out and gives it some body and some depth and i think same thing of crystal ballroom i just think you can't give it the depth and the kind of the the, the body and the fullness that the the album version of crystal ballroom does how about you sherry i'll have to say volcano um i'm I'm with Matt on 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 Volcano. I'll go on record as saying that it's 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 not one of my favorites. Um, but after <laughs> after after hearing it from the um, from the E stage, it just doesn't have that that power. Um, so uh, that one is the one I would choose. But by the way, Adam said in the I believe it was in the Are you two talking? you two to me, um, podcast. Um, it might've been there. It might've been, um, um, the Sirius XM. I can't remember at this point, but he said that he, he has never played with or without you the same way twice in all these years. So, um, so it really doesn't matter if Adam knows how to play it or not. He's never going to play it the same way. (laughs) Which is so funny as a musician, guitar player who looks down on bass players, maybe musician (laughs) that all, uh, that with or without you is a fairly simple song, especially from a bass perspective that yep. he would say that if I, cause I heard that too. And I was kind of like, really, does he, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not like dissing Adam. He knows what he's playing obviously, or, or doesn't or whatever the case may be. <laughs> and, um, but it was just kind of a funny moment to, to hear, but, um, cause that's always the one that in music circles anyways, gets pulled up as a, like a U2 doesn't really play much. They don't really like in musically or whatever. They don't really play anything that hard. They just do like quarter notes and there, whatever. But anyways, Funny little. Um, uh, people should refer to my dissertation because I, I, I disprove that. Okay. Well, there you go. Do we, can we, is that actually viewable online? Can we, uh, yes, can it's we available. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I can, I can share that. It's, uh, available from the Florida state university, uh, library system. Okay. We'll put it in the show notes after and, and people can f- go read it. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, uh, available in PDF. You can even download it if you awesome. want to, if you're, if you're having a case of insomnia one night and, and if we get a ton of follow-up questions, so the way you folks, if you want to send in questions, just like the, whatever it was here, six or seven folks that we answered questions from, if you, on Twitter, you post a question with, and throw in the hashtag ask at you two, it doesn't have to be directed at anybody in particular. You can ask it to the at you two Twitter handle, or just throw it out into the ether and we'll catch it. And, uh, on a future episode, I think it'd actually be fun, you know, in this mythical break of some sort that we were supposed to have here at some point, maybe in the future, we'll have a break between tours or whatever to go a little deeper with Christopher on, on his uh, dissertation and, and have fan feedback and, and sort of pushback or stuff on it too, would be interesting just from a musical perspective, but, um, cool. I'm in. We'll, uh, so if you send stuff in like that, we'll catalog it and, you know, group it together for a future episode if enough stuff comes back. So for our at you two round table, we uh, have a couple topics to discuss. The most interesting one, well, not most interesting, the most recent one, I guess, from the band's perspective is the third song for someone video. Am I, or second? Yeah, that's number third. three. Yeah. Three. It's, it's three. The, the one of the, this album, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. Really you know, process. I'll just, I'll share something just based on what happened this morning. I was driving to work. I have a 20 minute commute and I have a Sirius XM satellite in my in my car and I have it set for an alert for you too. And three times within that 20 minutes song for someone came on different channels on Sirius XM, including the eighties channel and the nineties channel. So th- this song has really lit up huh. for some reason on Sirius XM. When I was coming home from work, I heard it on the spectrum and it's been on pulse and it's been on alt nation and just all over the place. So obviously something's happening with this song that's getting some attention and lighting some people up. Well, I have to wonder if, if that was a, uh, a courtesy for you two doing the uh, Q and a on Sirius um, uh, a month and a half ago. Um, if, if by doing that, Sirius offered to put the song into heavier rotation across its various different um, um, adult, contemporary, hot AC, um, uh, the AAA stations. So we used to have a pay for play situation. You're saying it's a say for play? A say for play. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, no. uh, for the week, for the week ending August 29th uh, on the adult alternative song chart, uh, song for someone 
uh, was number 13 on Billboard. And on the media-based charts for AAA, um, it's at number 14. Last week, it was at number 13. And on its hot AC, it's at number 30. So it is getting um, um, pretty decent charting, but it's on um, a niche-style um, uh, uh, song chart. So uh, I would like to see it on a top 40. I would like to see it in more heavy rotation on your standard um, terrestrial radio. I'm not hearing it on any of my stations um, around here. Uh, I live uh, South Shore, Massachusetts. So uh, up in Boston, it's probably being played on 92.5 The River, yeah. but not on any of the other really major stations. You know, no, it's, I, it's certainly strategic. I mean, that's that's obvious. When I see it come across that many times in a day on, you know, a brand, yeah, it's pretty strategic. But it's, I, I think it's working too. I thought I, I thought the choice of song was was interesting for a single because it, it's it, it doesn't seem as radio friendly as other choices from from the album. But you know, what do I know? Um, that, that's well, I think as we start to talk about the different video versions. Um, you know, which there are four different video versions now. It's uh, it it's it becomes it, to me it becomes obvious. It's the quintessential U two song. So yeah, we, let's talk about some of the video stuff mm-hmm. because I think it yeah. really becomes um, an an amazing opportunity for U two to represent itself in multiple different ways. So you, know, you I- had you had the release of of the um, of the mode two version of song for someone on films of innocence Mm -hmm. that um that came out back in december of last year and then the next um i don't know if you can classify it a video but it was the live performance that was videotaped in vancouver that aired in the united states uh on behalf of red nose day that aired um mid-may uh, just as the North American tour was kicking off. And then you had the long-form video that uh, aired at the end of Rectify on the Sundance channel. That's one with um, with um, the Harrelson family. Right. And then the fourth one that, that just um, launched uh, this past week, right? Right, yep. yeah, with yep. the Mahurin-produced uh, yeah. video. Yeah. Now, the one thing I would say is... Yeah, I think that concert video from Vancouver probably fits in the second slot. But I'm also thinking more of just the Oliver Jeffers, you know, kind of videography that's produced that we see when we go to the concert of the young, the whole young Bono scenario, which I don't know if that I mean, they got portions of that in that concert footage. But I'm but for me, I count one of those video representations as actually being on the floor and watching that giant screen because that's a fantastic music video that you don't really get the full weight of unless you're on the floor watching that thing. That's a good call. You know, I I I never thought of the concert experience as as, as being another music video, which is interesting. I I actually watched all three videos this morning in my office hour. I I, I watched the new one. Which um, reminded me a lot of With or Without You, the whole black and white thing, the you know the uh, play of light and dark, um, and then I watched um, the the Harrelson short um, film, and then I watched the the Mode Two films of Innocence, and actually went to Mode Two's website, and he actually said um, in his blog post about doing that video for you too, he said, and I quote, although I had Bloody Sunday and You Two circa 1984 in my mind. When I heard that song, Song for Someone, I guess it falls more into a with or without you mold. I've remained pretty faithful to the words themselves, but chose to absorb them through a certain historical and sociocultural filter. So I, I, I didn't even know that he was thinking about with or without you. And then, um, and then this new video comes out and it, it reminds me of with or without you. So there, that, that for me was an interesting connection. Does it yeah, feel like, know. sorry, I was, was going to ask, does it feel like, I know people have sort of said it's kind of like the most U2-ish song, if there's such a thing still, of of the album. And so it seems like the natural play for radio and things like that to be a familiar kind of tune for people to hear. But then it also feels like it's maybe, again, because we're in the U2 uh, fan community, you hear a lot about everything that U2 does. Obviously, we do and talk about it a lot. And so, but it feels a bit like they're really, really want this song to go 
and are they trying too hard to make the song go? Well, and speaking of song for someone, um, whatever happened to the fans recording clips of them singing this? They right. were supposed to post it on the site, but never did. You know, I I, I actually recorded two of those with with my boy. He was. <laughs> My my two and a half year old son was uh, was in his U two phase then and actually requested me to sing it to him. As <laughs> his I think we're going to have to follow up about that, Chris. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, throughout the tours, there's been many abandoned ideas that have started off with good intention <laughs> and then proved problematic. So I, I, yeah, I think that's just part of. Um, there's so many ideas they throw out there uh, originally, and it's part of the brainstorming around that table. I think and. And who knows? It, I guess it could happen someday. It's like Salesforce. Where did it go? You know? <laughs> it is oh, interesting it's to put still the, very much there, Tim. <laughs> the, like, put, okay, put the uh, mm-hmm. put the fan put it out to the fans. I guess as a thing to like do, like you know, say for Christopher put getting his kid involved and stuff to then discard that. And maybe there's legal reasons and stuff that we don't know about, and that's why. But it, it does feel like a bit of like, hey, we went through all the effort of doing this. Why did you just throw? throw it in the trash or maybe it's sitting on some shelf or maybe it'll be part of that documentary that's you know that's coming the hbo show maybe is where it'll end up or something but it does feel like it felt like it was going to be one of those social media kind of sharing moments where like hey that's my you know myself or my kid or whatever in the video and then yeah it didn't go anywhere so who knows we'll see yeah i don't think that they're that they're working too hard on it i think that because it is so difficult to break through um they're doing everything that they can to to keep a a um, active song being played while they're on tour. I don't think that they've selected what a fourth single off of this album is. So um, until they've made that decision, I think that they're going to push this as as long and and as far as they can. It's not like they've got. Um, um, hundred million views of "Bitch I'm Madonna" that they can, you know, say, "Hey, we got a hundred million views of song for someone." Um, uh, but they may also have so many different artistic thoughts about it that they want to keep the conversation going, but also to add different perspectives to that conversation. You know, you're breaking into my my imagination and my conversation and all that. I think that they're just throwing it out every three months to see. You know, is this going to stick? Is are people going to talk about it? Um, it's it's still gaining in the chart, so I don't see why they would stop uh, a promotional effort. Mm-hmm. It's 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 just not at the level of Taylor Swift and the VMAs. You know. Well, and part of what's interesting about that is they're actually not trying to sell a product, right? Usually, you put you push a single out there. At least the old strategy would be you push a single out there, so you can either sell that single or hopefully you can sell the album. And that's what's interesting to me about this and the fact that they're starting a European tour. They're kind of doing this push at the end of the North American leg. And I, I just find that fascinating. It, it seems to be just to build the brand of U2. It's just to keep it out in front of the public. And uh, maybe they're pushing towards that return to North America, too. And I also think that because of Bono's bicycle accident, every breaking wave uh, uh, yeah. lost its momentum. I mean, yeah. everything stopped at that bicycle accident and every breaking wave had just launched. They, they, they had the momentum going on that. So they had to throw out their song for someone sooner than what they were anticipating. They weren't anticipating sending it to, um, uh, or rather pushing it to radio as early as they did. So I think that that might have something to do with it as well. Good call. Yeah, but in terms of the kind of the multifaceted, you know, layers that are in this song and why I think it's the quintessential U2 song is because you've just got these these mixed messages going on in this thing that work at every level. So Bono says, you know, this is a song for Ali, who I'm still trying to impress. So it becomes a love song. And then actually what he does in concert is sing to young Bono. You know, if there is a light, don't let it go out. So it becomes kind of a reflective song at midlife. And then it also becomes this walk on moment for people who are hurting, you know, who've fallen, who've hit the ground, who are cracked and beaten, you know, you know, continue on. It's got some political overtones because of that films of innocence piece, which by the way, I have a review of films of innocence up on at you too, from back when it was released. If anybody's 
looking for some comments on that, uh, just those illustrations of these songs. Um, you know, you've got, you've got uh, Mode 2 fil- uh, filming kind of in Omog, which I think brings some real cultural, you know, political relevance to it too. And then you've got this one with Woody Harrelson, who's just kind of the, the dejected outcast, just wondering how to, you know, move on in life. So it's, oh, and spiritual, right? Cause you've got this whole theme of Calvary going on. So you just got everything in this song. And I wonder if that's why they keep re-releasing it in different forms, because it's, again, it's the with or without you that just has so many layers and different meanings to it. And what's also nice, too, is when it's being performed in the arenas, uh, many times fans will will take out their phones and put on the flashlight on it. So then you've got the 10,000 um, um, 10, yeah. points of light inside of the, the arena. Um, I haven't seen it done every night, but on most nights, uh, they just do it because it's the slow song. Everybody's swaying back and forth. They sing along. It's, it's, it's something that um, people do both then and during um, uh, every breaking wave. What we've got coming up in the, in the calendar, as you look at the at U2.com calendar of, of U2-related events, all stops, all concert dates are filling up the calendar, obviously, in Europe, and it's starting in a couple of days here in Turin. So um, we've little bits of news and stuff has, has leaked, uh, as happens, obviously, uh, with this kind of thing from Turin and their rehearsals. Um, any comments, you guys, on, on what's, what's leaked and, and what's sort of making you excited? This would be the special, especially spoiler-rific section of the podcast, so uh, you can skip ahead roughly 10 minutes, maybe, if you don't want to hear any of this kind of stuff, if you've been plugging your ears and, and muting YouTube and social media and, and stuff like that to try and keep the... Uh, <laughs> The experience, the <laughs> shock I, free I, or shock. There, yeah. There's a there's an image that comes to mind right here, and it's me and Sherry running up the escalator as fast as we can <laughs> in Boston because we hear something playing that hasn't been played before, and we get there just in time to hear the last 15 seconds of the fly, and they de- debuted that uh, clip that night, and we thought it was live, so you know we're kind of out tweeting. Oh, you know, OMG, OMG, the you know, band's going to play the fly. And, of course, they didn't. Or maybe they do. We still don't know. But... Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. What, anybody else? What, what's... Uh, I've actually been uh, somewhat uh, silent on social media lately to hear and see, follow up some of this kind of stuff. But uh, some songs that have been teased and stuff that I've heard or saw brief mentions of is Europa outro being thrown in there. Uh, what else? Uh, well, we had um, um, October. We've mm-hmm. had um, New Year's Day. It's it's certainly uh, sounding like it's it's going to have a definite European slant. Uh, probably looking more at solidarity and unity, and how um, I'm using Zuropa as the outro of uh, for a bullet the blue sky is going to uh, put the euro on its head, basically. You know, here, here you had the 93 album supposed to be about the European Union and, and its thoughts about the unity of it. And I believe that that was around the time that, that, that the euro was um, first being introduced. To fast forward to now where you've got what's going on in Greece, you've got what's going on in Portugal and Spain and Italy and all of that stuff. And um, I think that the band's going to have quite a bit to say uh, about the uh, economies around the Euro, um, the the Eurozone. So I think yeah. um, Zuropa is, is a stroke of genius to put after um, Bullet. Yeah, I, everybody's wondering what's going to happen in Bullet because in America, Bono goes into his big America bit. America's not a country, it's an idea. And I think Sherry's onto it here. And I, there's a couple other themes that could easily come out. I mean, the three themes in, in Europe right now are the Ukraine and, you know, the, the Russians kind of coming in and making a mess of things there. You've got migration of people from the Middle East into Northern Europe and you've got the economy, you know, most mostly represented in the Greek situation. So I tweeted out tonight, actually, um, waves of refugees heading from the Middle East through Budapest to Northern Europe might be thinking 
Germany's more than a country than an idea. And I think I, I really think there's something there that could transfer quite well because Europe has to figure out, especially Northern Europe, where all these refugees are going, you know, how what is what is the idea? You know, what is the ideology of this European Union? And it com- it certainly comes down. I agree with Sherry to economics, too, into the euro. So, yeah, Zuropa. Even if it's just a snippet, would be the these are the hands that built America kind of moment, and these are the hands that built Europe. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I love the the commentary that they do. Obviously, um, and we've talked about it on the on this this show many times already in previous episodes from the North American perspective, but uh, especially interesting, I guess, maybe as a North American, I don't know, uh, but just getting their read and their perspective, their lens on what's going on in Europe and other parts of the world that aren't as readily, you know, shown in the news and things like that over here and, and shining a bit of a light on, on things as even for us paying attention across the ocean here and stuff. So another interesting thing is people don't know actually during bullet that they were making quite a commentary on the European union anyway, when they throw up intermittently, this slide that says on F Greece, you know, and that, that was a pretty big signal as well as these kind of waves of migrants who just have no place to go and are stuck in no man's land. So bullet anyway was a, was more than just America. It's just the, the, the verbiage that Bono gave to it that made it kind of an American themed song and it's going to transfer over to Europe really well. Yeah. I think that we're probably going to see a a different video, uh, presentation for bullet i don't think we're going to see the uh strip clubs and and all of that stuff i think that they're going to be changing that up willie williams did say in his um interview with matt that there are two other intermission videos Mm -hmm. that are in the hopper but he likes the fly one so much he doesn't want to let that one go (laughs) um so so it'll be interesting to see what what goes on there and um just as a side note back in in the 360 tour the band road tested um a few different songs like north um um, north star and mercy Mm -hmm. and all that i wouldn't be at all surprised if at some point it could be even beyond the e-stage that they could Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. um, test drive a couple of songs of experience songs Mm -hmm. nice (laughs) i would love to see i would love to I would love to be in on that. <laughs> Sooner or later, that's got to come. Yeah. 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 We definitely keep, they keep teasing it and, and it seems like whether it's the, you know, the, before they come back to the States, North America area that they release that or whatever. And yeah, a logical thing would be to test it and tease it in, in Europe a bit on stage and, and know that it's going to get out there and get people excited again. So or more excited anyway. So um, one thing I want to sort of riff off of that was in the uh, forum discussion on at you two. So if you're not aware, if you can hit up forum.atu2.com and, and chat, discuss, debate, yell, scream. Well, no, not yell and scream, but uh, politely debate things of the U2 nature. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one thing that someone had started a discussion there that we kind of wanted to riff on here is what do you think, just to, for fun, not we're taking ourselves too seriously here, but what do you think the show opener song is going to be? Do you think it's going to stay the same? The original poster, Sizigi, said, uh, new show opener in Europe, this is where you can reach me now, which is, is an interesting slant on it. He said, he or she said, um, because the intro of the song will be really great for a memorable opener. In Europe, the Clash is more popular than the Ramones, and there are a lot of changes of the opening song in the last few tours. Um, Vertigo had yeah, anyways, going through the list, but um, and a bunch of people went back and forth and stuff. So we thought we'd just sort of jump off that and as the way of sort of rounding out the the round table, ending off the round table in this episode anyways, just for fun, what do you think, any thoughts on what the song would be that they'd open with? Um, and even if you know, probably they're going to, my hunch, I guess I'll lay my cards on the table. My hunch is that they're going to keep it the same just because that's the theme of the tour, helps sort of s- set the stage for where they're going and thematically in that first section. But what do you think beyond that? If if you had to pick, you could you're Willie Williams in the in the room with them, and you're picking a new song that they want to open for Europe specifically. Anything jump to mind? Anybody? This is where you can reach me now. Still, I I said it back when the album first came out. That should have been the tour opener. Um, it's got the long intro. Um, it's it talks about um, you know taking on the whole soldier aesthetic and, and for, for the show, 
um, they're very much the boots on on the ground doing what they're um, doing and 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 um, protecting what they're protecting up on that stage. So if it wasn't the miracle of Joey Ramone, I would love to see that open the uh, the shows in Europe. I would love to hear that song live too. I just don't think it has the punch, the sonic punch of yeah. Miracle. I mean, you know, that 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 opening really really heavily distorted guitar from from Edge, it just wakes everybody up and and uh, I love this is this is where you can reach me now, but I think It I doesn't think the have the one, badum bump, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And use a technique. Well, it's yeah, Miracle of Joey <laughs> Ramone lends itself so well to a whole stage presence, right? Yeah. And and part of what happened there um, is back in Vancouver, it's interesting. They they started out, it was it was a great moment watching Bono sing through that chorus. And he'd go through a couple choruses, but about three weeks later, that thing got extended so that they were doing three, maybe even four choruses by the end of the tour because it was working so well to engage the crowd and bring them in. In fact, I love Karen Liddell's uh, comment in the kind of the summary tour piece we all threw together in the hopper that's on, on at U2 now. And she said the best moment for her of the whole concert was that opening note, the opening OOOs. And I, I tend to agree with that. It, yeah. It's this moment where, it, it was for that's for me like when the torch lit up in the LA Coliseum, the Olympic torch of you know when they started singing where I want to run, I want, you know want to hide, I want to tear down the walls inside, and uh, it's a great opener. That here's here's an interesting opener thought that I had as we were kind of ramping up to this question. Does anybody remember that on the Vertigo tour they opened a couple of shows with Love and Peace or else? And I was at San Jose. People don't believe me. You can go look at it at tours. Uh, I hated tour that. I hated it was it. crazy. <laughs> it was like they walked out and the kind of bass was just rumbling. And all four of them walked out onto the ramp and then to the stage, flashing these bright lights like Bono does on 40. And it was, it was almost surreal and bizarre. Uh, just the whole set was kind of turned on its head. So these guys do this and uh, they certainly change up the set in 360 and maybe they'll change it up in Europe too. But but that has to be the strangest opener of any of the tours I've ever seen is Love and Peace or else. It was a bold experiment that yeah. obviously didn't work. I don't completely believe you and I want to throw a link into the tours page. So the U2 360 tour, which leg was that on? We're going to go. To it the- was on the Vertigo tour. Oh, Vertigo tour. Sorry. And it yeah. was, it yeah, was, and the it was second- several nights. Um, yeah, yeah, because they, they did that in Boston as well. <laughs> they tried it multiple times through the tour. The first one that I'm aware of was in San Jose when I saw him on the first leg. People can just go to the first leg and scroll down yeah. to San Jose, the second show. But yeah, we'll find it. I'll throw the link in the show notes for people. You guys can, okay. can discuss other uh, shows. Does anybody have any other ideas or, or thoughts on on sort of random? Mode? That's the kind of thing I guess. Just you kind of feel like I I feel like as a again speaking as a musician on stage, you're even at U2 stature, I think you're kind of like, we want this crowd to go off. We don't want to be standing up here feeling naked because nobody gets that this is a cool song, even though we love it or whatever. And so you do want to go with a sure bet, but it is also Europe. And so it has a different vibe, different aesthetic. And so mm-hmm. there could be something, I don't know. I could see them throwing something in there. I just don't have any good ideas of what it might be, but anybody else have any other thoughts? They're going to do what they're going to do. And that's it. I'm still wondering if it'll still be people have the power as the yeah. as the real intro before the show. Oh, like the intro music that's playing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you think that'll I sure liked what was it? Wasn't it the didn't they have the clash going? Yeah, beat on the brat. And, I loved uh, that. I loved that. I just thought because it just got faster and faster. And also on that intro. They had sampled uh, Edge's guitar in what from discotheque and even, even better, better than, than the real, real thing. thing. That was really fun to hear. I get the theme of people have the power, but that that beat on the brat as it sped up and as it had Edge's samples in it was just brilliant. I thought it's a jive moment. Cool. All right. Well, that uh, that wraps up the YouTube at YouTube roundtable discussion of this episode, and uh, we are looking forward to. All the stuff that we've got coming up with the new tour starting right away, right around the corner. And I uh, cannot wait to see 
how wrong or right we were on all our predictions and thoughts and uh and just looking forward to seeing what happens with the show of course as it ramps up again uh right now on the youtube at youtube uh, homepage, like I mentioned last time, was the poll is still going, the same poll of which unplayed song from Songs of Innocence do you hope, most hope, gets played in concert during the next leg of the tour, or legs, I guess. Sleep Like a Baby Tonight, Matt's favorite song, or This Is Where You Can Reach Me Now. And as I click through, I think it's still basically neck and neck, 50-50-ish, very close. So um, obviously lots of demand for both songs. And so we'll see, see who gets, who wins that argument yeah they're 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 not going to do sleep like a baby tonight i bet they'll do this is where you can reach me now if anybody from youtube is listening you got to sneak it in there somewhere just for matt if you do nothing else (laughs) no anyways well um let's wrap up this episode uh going around the table again thanks to sherry to tim to christopher uh for joining us on episode eight of the at youtube podcast Tim, there's uh, much questions about is the crystal ballroom going to continue even though it's in a weird time zone and how's that all going to work? Are you uh, yeah. what, what, what's what's going on? Well, I tell you what, we could. I, I'm pretty confident that something's going to happen. <laughs> We've been experimenting with the at you to uh, kind of lounge is what it's uh, the moniker is right now, but. Uh, we've also been thinking about how do we uh, interface with Europe and wh- what will the Europeans do? We would love to have them engage and we join into their activities and their streams. Uh, it was interesting to read Willie Williams' comments in the interview again that's posted now about, uh, you know, live stream is out of the bag. That ship has sailed. There's nothing, uh, you just got to admit this is part of the culture now. And so, yeah, these streams are going to come out. And then the post-concert kinds of stuff, uh, it, me and Matt and some of the others, we'll make sure something's there, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah, be sure to follow along on Twitter. At U2 is the, at, at U2 is the <laughs> Twitter handle. And uh, where you can hear this show, previous episodes of this show, if you want to go back uh, goodstuff.fm slash at you too and then put the episode number after that slash eight in this case and we're also on facebook facebook.com slash at you com and uh be sure of course to visit the home site at you com for articles and stuff we've linked we've mentioned uh tim's review of the songs of innocence uh documentary film or mini film collection and uh, all the stuff that we talked about we'll have chris's a link to chris's dissertation will be on there and uh they be sure to submit your questions and comments and follow up to the hashtag ask at you too if you've got something maybe you disagreed with us maybe you've got a thought on uh what the song opener will be and we we can look at the date stamp so we'll know if you submit it after the <laughs> the show has happened uh but anyways and uh and or questions you want to submit for the future episodes of the show we'll catalog all those and look forward to answering them if you have submitted questions in the past don't worry we've got them we collect them and and sort of group them into topics and and as best we can get through them Um, but we will try our best to make sure we get through all of them at some point so i think without having yes tim (laughs) do we want to say anything about uh things that our listeners might expect out of the podcast uh, well, we got a little chat feature that's oh, yeah. kick in, live chat feature. Is that right? I think yes. you invented that or something. Didn't? You wrote the code for it. No, I'm not that Indelible nerd. in the universe now and all of that. We've been uh, testing for the podcast, uh, tuning in live to listen. We've been in uh, beta testing, I guess, as it were, with the uh, YouTube staff. And so we will be informing you folks if we are going to be broadcasting live again uh dates and times to be determined typically wednesday nights is when we record the show and then it gets released thursday ish uh, and so um watch the basically the twitter account at at, at you too uh, will be where we'd tweet out a link um to the live recording of the podcast so if all goes well knock on wood or knock on microphones or whatever you decide to do and uh follow along it'll be fun to have you in the chat room and stuff so I think without having Matt here to give any sort of final word, Sherry, we're allowed to do stuff without Matt, right? We've, you've well, checked that. Well, we did duct tape his mouth shut, so <laughs> yeah. he's actually he can't sitting say anything here with else. Us. Spoiler, yeah. <laughs> Easter egg here. Matt's been sitting here. We just hadn't. You remember the movie Nine to Five? <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll have Matt again. Oh, I'm going to get fired for that one again. <laughs> That's 186. That's for me. <laughs> Matt has fired Sherry many times, but somehow she keeps sneaking back on to the staff, I guess. 
is what I hear. I'm new, so I can't really comment, but um, yeah. Okay. Thanks to everybody. <laughs> thanks everybody for listening. We will be back again next week for the at YouTube podcast and enjoy the show for those of you in Turin and areas around Europe. Bye. Understand I have nothing against you two.